And today, one of those concepts that we're talking about is this idea of fellowship. So to guide us in this question, I, I want to encourage you this morning, if you've got your Bibles, open them up to the book of Philippians, chapter 1. Philippians is in the New Testament. If you don't have your Bible with you, you can follow along on the screens to the side. But I would highly, highly encourage you, download the FCC Monmouth mobile app. You can just search FCC Monmouth on whatever app store you're using. Download that. Click the Sunday button at the bottom. It's got everything you need to get the most out of our time together, including a Bible. And I always say follow along in the Bible. But today in particular, we're going to be looking very closely at a few passages and even a few words we're going to start to pick apart and really think about. So I just want you to have that in front of you. Philippians chapter 1. So here's our question. What does a biblical practice of fellowship really look like? Philippians is a great book to answer this question. It's a letter written by the Apostle Paul. That was a guy who God charged specifically with preaching the gospel and planting churches in the ancient world. And Paul is writing this letter from prison, and he's in prison because of his task. Christianity was an illegal religion in the first century, and so Paul is in prison because he has made more than a few people angry by preaching this good news of Jesus, so he's in jail. And he writes this letter to the church in the city of Philippi. It was located in northern Greece. And the reason he writes this letter, a couple of reasons. One, there's starting to be some arguments and disunity starting to crop up in this church. And he wants to put the kibosh on that before it gets out of hand. The second reason he writes is because they have sent him a very generous gift to supply his needs while he's in prison. In the ancient world, in the Roman Empire, you had to pay for all your own stuff. So like all your bedding, all your food and everything while you're in jail, you had to pay for that. And if you couldn't pay for it, you just didn't get it. So if you didn't have money for food, guess what? You're not eating for a while. So they wanted to make sure Paul had what he needed, so they sent him a gift. And this is a thank you letter of sorts. A couple different reasons why he writes this. And you can probably tell just in this little bit of an explanation that this idea of fellowship, of togetherness, is going to be a pretty prominent theme throughout this letter. And really, it starts to develop right from the get-go in chapter 1, verse 1. If we were to look at the whole Bible, and we were to do a very intense theological and thematic study of fellowship, we find that it's a very multifaceted and rich concept. But we can really boil a lot of this richness down to three main pillars. And all three of them show up in the opening chapter of Philippians. We'll start in verse 1, for example. It says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people, in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and the deacons. Grace and peace to you from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is the opening address of this letter, and right out of the gate, he gives us one of the pillars of fellowship, of being together as a church. And it's in this phrase, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus. He calls us God's holy people. And that is a, that's an honor, and that's a blessing, but that's not something that we were born into. In fact, the contrary. We were born into this world and we distanced ourselves from God. We separated ourselves from him through the practice of sin or, or rejecting God's ways and God's calling and God's love. We separated ourselves. It's only because of Jesus and what he did on the cross that we can be called God's holy people. That our sins could be forgiven and washed away. That we could be reconciled with God. And when we make that choice to accept Jesus into our lives and to follow him, to make him our Lord, that's what happens. We enter into a union with Jesus. Or as Paul says it, we are in Christ, is essentially what that phrase means. And when we are in Christ, we have fellowship with him and by extension with each other. 
That's the main pillar of fellowship. Being together as a church is our shared faith in Christ. We follow one Lord, one baptism. We are part of one church. So this is the first pillar. And Paul, if you wanted to read the rest of of Philippians in chapters 2 and 3, he's going to really flesh out what that looks like in more detail. We're not going to do that this morning for time's sake. But that's our first pillar. We get it in the opening address. So let's keep reading. Look at verse 3. It says, I thank my God every time I remember you. We'll just pause there. Every time he thinks about this church, every time he recollects who they are and what they've done and and their relationship together, he praises God and gives thanks. Obviously, there is a lot of affection between him and this church. There's a lot of love. They're close. And this is exemplary of the second pillar of fellowship. It's just mutual affection for one another. You see, we all have this same faith. We all have this same Lord that we belong to. We have a shared connection there. But because we are part of that family, because we're part of God's holy people together, we're called to love one another. And this shows up throughout the rest of the letter. Even in chapter 1, he's going to say, when I get out of prison, I hope to come see you again, and I hope that my visit is a blessing to you. Now, that's what we're called to do throughout the New Testament. This theme is called to be a blessing in each other's lives. And that might mean encouraging one another through difficulties or comforting one another during difficulties. It might mean helping to meet needs in one another's life and to pull together like that. That mutual affection for one another as people of shared faith. That's that second pillar of fellowship. A good way that we foster that here at FCC is through our small group ministry. You know, small groups are a great place where you can know people and be known by people. And I'll just use my small group as an example I belong to a small group that meets on Sunday nights. And, you know, Sunday can be kind of a long day for me sometimes. And so I'm not always the most energetic when it comes time for small group. And there are days when I say, I don't really know if I even want to go to group tonight. But I'm always glad when I do. Because those people energize me. And because I can laugh with them. And and I can learn with them. I can grow with them, both in myself and together alongside with them. It's this opportunity to love people and be loved by people. Shout out to my small group. You're the best. But like, this is what small groups are all about. It's this opportunity for us to grow with one another. To have that fellowship. That mutual affection for one another and shared faith. And this is a very common form of fellowship. And I know I poked fun at them a little earlier, but potlucks and stuff... That falls under this umbrella. Those are expressions of this mutual affection. There's nothing wrong with those things. But too often in the church, this is where we stop thinking about fellowship. We know we have shared faith. We all believe in Jesus. We know we have mutual affection for one another. But obviously that's not the end of the story because I said there were three pillars and we're only in verse three of this book. So there's got to be another one. So let's keep reading. Look at verse four. It says, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. That's an important phrase we're going to come back to. From the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And it's right for me to feel this way about you since I have you in my heart. And whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, here's another important phrase, All of you share in God's grace with me. There are a couple of phrases in this passage that that deserve particular interest and observation. The first one shows up in verse 5. It's that phrase, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. What is he saying there? That word partnership is a really special word. Okay, now some of you know this, some of you don't. So if you already know this, bear with me. The New Testament 
was not written in English. You know, it didn't fall out of the sky as the NIV or the King James Version, just ready for us to read and understand. It actually came from an ancient dialect of Greek, and it's been translated into English. And the Greek word that's used there for partnership is this word koinonia. Let me put it on the screen. Everybody take a look. Say it with me. Koinonia. Not a difficult word, right? But a rich word. Now, partnership, excellent translation of that word. We don't need to question the translation. The only reason I bring it up is so that you know what word is there. Because this word koinonia and the the roots and the cognates that come from it, this is what we would call the fellowship family of words. Meaning that as you read through your Bible, when you come across the word fellowship, there's like a 98% chance this is the Greek word that's being used. And the other words that come from it, we're going to look at another one, sugkoinoneo and so on. All of these words have their ties and their tethers in this idea of fellowship. And we might even look at verse 5 and say, because of your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. So we have to ask the question, what is the nature of this fellowship that Paul has with this church? Is it just that they have this shared faith, they believe in the same thing, and so they're in fellowship? Or is there something else that's happening here? And to answer that, I want to, and you don't have to turn there, it's in your notes if you're using the app, but we're going to look at chapter 4 of this book, almost at the end, in verse 14, because he gives us an answer. In this particular section of the book, Paul is, this is the thank you section. He's saying, you guys sent me this generous gift to supply for my needs, and I just want to thank you for that. This is what he says in verse 14. He says, yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. You want to take a, a guess as to what Greek word is used there? It's the word sugkoinoneo. Oh, it's a root of koinonia. So here's our fellowship word. It was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance, you might say from the first day with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me. Take a guess what word that is. That's our word, koinonia. Not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. So he's talking about a fellowship kind of relationship here with this church. And we ask, what's the nature of this fellowship? What is he talking about? He's not just talking about mutual faith, and he's not just talking about mutual affection. He's talking about a partnership in ministry. He's saying, when I sat out at the first, when you first came to faith, you financially backed me in my ministry so that I didn't have to work all day with my best hours and then preach at night when I had spare time. I could use the best hours of my day preaching the gospel of Jesus because you backed me, you financed me. We're business partners, is what he's saying here. This is what he's talking about. If you want to look back up at chapter 1, that partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, this isn't just a shared faith. What he's saying is we have a business relationship. We have a ministry relationship. You and I together, our fellowship is one of a shared task. It's one of a shared calling. And we are both actively at work seeing this mission to its fruition. Same thing is said a little bit later in that verse. If we were to look down at verse 8. He says, whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. And again, that question, when he's talking about sharing in God's grace, is he talking about just you believe in Jesus and I believe in Jesus? Or is he talking about something a little more nuanced? And if you look at the context of that statement, you back up just a few words, whether I am in chains. Now, why was he in chains? It's for preaching the gospel, right? It's for his ministry. So whether I am in chains for the ministry or I am defending and confirming the gospel, that means preaching, folks. So whether I'm doing ministry or doing ministry, all of you share in God's grace with me. 
It doesn't make a whole lot of sense for him to say two completely unrelated ideas in the same breath. You know, what he's really saying here is, look, we are partners in this. Whether I'm preaching and whether I'm defending the gospel or or I'm in jail for the gospel, you all, you're partners with me in this ministry endeavor. It's kind of like me saying, look, in the core of my being and my belief and my faith, I trust and I believe that every person on this planet has the opportunity and deserves the opportunity to know the good news of Jesus and how much God loves them. And you believe in Jesus too, right? What am I really saying there? Am I saying just we believe the same, you know, Jesus? Or am I saying that this core belief that everybody needs to hear, that's what we all stand for? It's that second option, right? Every, all God's people nod to their heads. Yeah, we're doing a lot this morning, I know. Stay with me, okay? Paul's talking about ministry. He's talking about their task and their calling. You see, the nature of their fellowship, their togetherness, and what it meant for them to be together as a church was more than their connection together because of Jesus. And it was more than their connection together because of mutual affection. Those are part of it. But it's also because of their shared task. They have a job to do together. Now, you probably, you're following me, right? We've probably got this point, and we don't need to probably look at the next verse, but we're going to because I like the Bible, and I think you like the Bible, and it's good to know this stuff. So let's skip down to verse 27 of Philippians chapter 1. It says, Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. So he's writing to this church, remember, because there's, there's some arguments that are starting to formulate. We read about those in chapter 4. Okay, so there's some tension. He wants to head that off. And he says, my desire is that you would be unified, that you'd be together. And the way he phrases that is that you would be in one spirit. So how do they... How do they practice that unity? What does that unity look like in actuality and in fruition? He says it in the very next verse, that you would stand firm in one spirit, comma, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. And notice what he didn't say. He didn't say striving together in the faith of the gospel. Because that would imply that they, as in mutual faith and mutual affection, are leaning on one another for encouragement and stability. And that's a good thing. But that's just not what he said. What he said is they are striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. There is an objective. There's something to be accomplished. It's the spreading of that faith of the gospel. It's the ministry of the faith of the gospel. He says your unity is to be worked out through your mutual shared labor for Christ. Church, all of this comes together to mean this fellowship, a biblical understanding and practice of what it means to be together as a church is more than just meeting together on Sunday. And it's more than just meeting together in a small group or having people that you love and you say, how you doing? I hope you had a good week. Being a church, being together in fellowship means that we have a calling, a task, and a mission that Jesus himself has charged us with and that we together labor towards that end. That task is taking this good news of hope and life and peace and reconciliation to a world that needs to hear it and be healed by it. That's fellowship. Now, I realize that we have done a lot of explanation this morning with very little illustration. So that's what we're going to do with the rest of our time together. What does this aspect of fellowship look like at FCC? In other words, how do we put this into practice? How do we come together in this shared labor and this shared cause? There's a couple different ways, actually three different ways that we can do this. 
The first is probably the, the least complicated. It's through financial partnership. That's a very biblical and viable way of partnering in this task of having this fellowship. We see it in this book even. The Philippians were financial backers to Paul. They supplied the funds necessary so that he could go out and give his best hours to this cause and to this task. That's a very viable way that we here at this church pull together as ministers in fellowship. And you are a minister. You get that, right? You may not be a vocational minister, but you've been charged with this task the same as me. And together we do this ministry. Financial partnerships one way. You heard me say it earlier during offering time. We say it every week. When we give our tithes and of our offerings, when we make our gifts, we are A, praising God and worshiping him for for the generosity that he showed us, but we are also partnering in that task because those funds go to accomplish the ministry here in Monmouth and beyond. And you think about it, and it's in simple ways. These gifts, they make ministry possible. Like that coffee bar out there, for instance. That's a tool. How many of you got a cup of coffee when you came in this morning? Liar. I saw like half a dozen people out there. Some of you are holding coffee cups in your hand right now. At least you're honest. Like that coffee bar out there. You don't think of it as, as a ministry tool. You think of it as like a refreshment stand. But think about it this way. We, had, we hosted a funeral here a few weeks ago. And one of the funeral workers, they came up to me and they said, you know, I just love the fact that you guys have this coffee bar here. And when they said that, they weren't meaning like this is just a really cool thing. But what they were talking about is there were people coming in, grieving people, emotional people. They were having that cup of coffee, and there was something about holding a warm beverage that put them at ease. And it let them relax just a little bit more. Same thing happens on Sunday morning. There's something about holding a warm beverage, especially on a cold day like today, that helps you relax a little bit. It puts you at ease. You feel more comfortable in that place. And you feel like this is a place where I can just kind of sit down and breathe a little bit. Now, let me ask you something. Are you more or less likely to listen to an important message when you're uptight and nervous? You're more or less likely. You're less likely, right? Like if you were to go to that old country church and somebody made you stand up in front of a sea of people you don't know and say, this is Sally. Everybody say, hi, Sally. Hi, Sally. You're going to feel really uncomfortable, right? You're probably not going to be listening to anything else that day. You're just going to be thinking, I'm mortified. I want to get out of this place as quick as I can. But if you're relaxed, if you're comfortable, if you feel like you're at ease, are you more or less likely to listen to a message of of what's being said? Probably more, right? Yeah. That's what that coffee bar does. It's such a simple tool, but it is a tool. And it takes funding. It's not a gross amount of money, but it does take money. And your gifts, you make that tool possible. Right now, we have a marriage mentor program we're trying to get off the ground. It's a national program. It's got a lot of potential. We're excited about it. We have a few mentors trained. We're looking for some more so we can really offer this and get it rolling. But it takes money for that training. You know, people, they put this stuff together. They put hard work and hours into this and that video training and those curriculum. All that stuff requires money to train volunteers to do that ministry. Your gifts make that possible. We have a children's ministry. It's complicated because there's a lot of different age groups and a lot of curriculums needed and and there's a lot of different trips and a lot of activities. All of that requires funding. And your gifts make that ministry to those kids possible. We have missions partners. We support it. This is uh, Human Trafficking Awareness Month. We have a missions partner. We're going to hear more about them next week called Rafa House where they rescue girls out of sex trafficking and they teach them how to have a life and value again. Your money, your gifts make that ministry possible. You see, this is a partnership and financial partnership is a very viable a very real way that we come together to make ministry happen and work towards this cause. Now, we're not in the business of making money, but we do need money to do our business. And our business is helping people take steps closer to God 
What's the last word? Together. That's, that's our mission at this church. And I'm so glad that that last word is in there, together, because it's only together that we can accomplish that task. So that's one way that we can partner financially. Another way that we can partner, that we can become fellowship, that we practice fellowship in this church, is through a ministry team. These are the various jobs that have to happen in this church for lives to be changed. And there are a mind-boggling number of moving pieces that people oftentimes don't think about or consider. For instance, we're going to take communion in a minute. Guess what? There are people that have to fill up every single one of those communion cups and put those wafers on the tray, and then we have to get it refilled before this service happens. There are people who can't get out of their homes because of health or whatever that still belong to this fellowship and there's community. There are people that take communion to them. We have a couple right now that every Sunday, they get in our van, they drive out, they pick up people that don't have a ride, they bring them to church, and then after service, they put them back in the van and they take them home. Every Sunday this happens. These are the small things that most people don't see or notice, but without them, there are holes and there are gaps that aren't getting filled. And one way that we can partner is by helping these individuals. Maybe you can fill communion cups. That may not seem like a big thing, but it is. Maybe you can take communion out to somebody who who just can't get out for themselves. That may not seem like a big deal, but it is. How many of you can drive a van? Okay, one person can drive a van. I don't know how you're all getting home. If you can drive a van, you can be a vital part of this ministry of helping people connect with God and take that next step. Some of these jobs, some of these tasks, these ministry teams, they're not always obvious, but they're essential. Others are very obvious and just as essential. You take our guest services team, for instance. Somebody handed you a bulletin when you walked in the door, and somebody handed you that cup of coffee, and somebody opened the door for you. Somebody's going to be at that welcome center desk when you leave to take connection cards that you may have to turn in. Those are all people whose mission, whose desire is to make people feel welcomed and accepted the minute they step on this campus. That is a vital part of this ministry of helping people take that next step. Because, again, if Sally Mae steps in the church and everybody makes her stand up and feel weird, she ain't coming back, folks. But if you got somebody who's going to hand you a cup of coffee, give you a hug and say, I'm glad you're here. Here's a seat. Let me help you out. They're way more likely to be at ease and to listen to this gospel message. That's a vital, vital job. Our children's ministry, there's a ton of stuff happening over there on Sunday, and I know we don't always get over there to see it because they're in their separate wing, but there are so many volunteers that are putting in their time and their energy to make sure that those kids have the opportunity to hear the gospel and take that next step towards God. Just the last week, I was in the hallway after second service. I was talking to a a little girl. Um, She's, you know, four or five, somewhere in there. I said, you have a good time at church today? And of course, she like shy and buried her head in in her dad's arm. And her dad spoke up. He said, yeah, actually, before we came here, she was just saying how excited she was to come to church and see her friends. And that may not seem like a big thing, but it's huge in the life of a four or five-year-old to know that this is a place where she is safe, a place where she is loved, a place where she has connections with people that she enjoys and finds valuable. That is laying the foundation for a future. So that when the day comes where her little heart and her little mind are ready to hear the gospel, that foundation's already laid because the people that are telling me about this really do care about me. They've cared about me for years. That is a crucial job, and volunteers are making that happen. They are doing that work with their time and their energy, allowing God to work in those moments. That's just one way that we can partner together in this task of helping people take that next step closer to God. All kinds of things need to happen here. I like to think of it like a clock because I'm kind of a mechanical person. In fact, the watch I bought is not like a digital watch. I bought it because it's mechanical. 
a clock or a watch, you take it open, a mechanical one, you're going to find gears, like big gears, little gear, gears. You find whirly bobs and gizmos in there. I don't even know what they do. Those are the technical terms, by the way. Look it up. But if you take any one of those pieces out, whether it be the big obvious ones or the tiny unnoticeable ones, you take any one of those pieces out, that clock or that watch is not going to do its job. It's not going to keep time. It's not going to function. And a church, this church, is the same way. We have all of these jobs. And I, I, job isn't even a great word. We have all of these opportunities, big ones and small ones, for us to partner together in this mission. And just like that clock, if any one of them is missing, we can't do our job. This job that Jesus has tasked us with of helping people take that next step closer to him. You see, it's when we partner together as co-ministers, co-workers, co-laborers, when we are fellowshipping around a cause and a purpose, that's when we're at our greatest. And that's when our fellowship is its richest, is when we're practicing every aspect of biblical fellowship. One last aspect, one way that we can do this, is one, you know, maybe, maybe I don't have a ton of, of money that I can donate. It doesn't have to be a ton of money, by the way. Maybe I don't have funds to spare. Maybe I don't have a ton of time to donate and give away. One thing that all of us can and must do, one way we must contribute together, is through our relationships. All of us can and must tell people about Jesus. At the very least, invite them to church, because we could have the slickest Sunday program known to man. We could have it polished, ready to roll. We could have a full staff of volunteers ready to accept everybody that sets foot on our campus. But if we're not telling people about Jesus, if we're not actually taking this news to people, none of this other stuff matters. It's when we care about people enough and love people enough to say, hey, there's this special thing in my life that God is doing. I want you to know about it, and I want you to experience it too. That's when life changes. That's when the doors are open, and that's when we're at our best. It's when we are having those conversations, telling people about Christ. Just this last week, I was talking to somebody from our fellowship. And this is a person that is truly practicing fellowship because they serve. They have that mutual faith, that mutual affection. They were saying, we did a lot of traveling over the holidays. Stopped at relatives' homes. And one, one stop we were talking with, I don't know what the relation was, but it was a younger, younger person. And they said, you know, we're just trying to figure out what's different about you. And one of the other skeptical relatives in the back said, oh, they're one of those believers. And this little one, they said, what, what's that? What's, what's it mean to be a believer? Y'all, that's like a T-bone in front of a dog, right? What's a believer? And this person took the opportunity. God love them. They sat that kid down and they said, this is what a believer is. This is who we believe in and this is why. It was so simple. It's those moments where we see those opportunities just to say, hey, this is something special in my life. God has worked in my life through Jesus. He has brought richness and peace to me through Jesus. And that's all it is. And I'm not pushing anything on you. I just want you to know what he's done for you. And by the way, if you want to come to church, I'll be more than happy to pick you up and take you out to lunch afterwards. That kind of thing, those conversations, that is legitimate partnership together. That's when we are doing the work together. We are practicing fellowship when we are telling people about Christ together. And I want to challenge us in this room today to take a step and move beyond just shared faith meeting on Sunday, to move beyond mutual affections of loving one another and being nice to one another and being happy and shaking hands, I want to challenge us to take that step to be co-laborers, to practice the full biblical understanding of fellowship where we are in this task together, where we are helping people take next steps closer to God together, where we're doing what Jesus called us to together because when all this is said and done, that's the only thing that's going to matter. Did we do what Jesus asked us to do? 
When I close my eyes and I open them up in heaven, the question I have is not, will I have owned enough stuff? Will I have traveled to enough places? Will I have climbed the ladder high enough at my job? The only question I will care about is who's here and who's not. Who's here? Because I chose to be a fellowship in a church. Because I chose to practice. Who's not? Because I never opened my mouth. That's the question, church. I want to challenge all of us to take the step to do this together. Because without together, there's no way we have a hope and a prayer of ever accomplishing it. Let's practice together. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for Jesus. It's because of him, Father, that we even stand here and gather here and have hope. Every day is richer because of him. We know peace and we know love because of his work. We have confidence in tomorrow, whatever may come, because of his promises. And Father, I pray that that joy... I pray it would be a joy, but I pray it would be a burden on our hearts too. That other people would have what we have. That this whole world would at least have the opportunity to know Christ and the peace that comes through him and only him. Father, I pray for this church and for these people that together we come together to be something more than just individuals. That together we join to serve. That together we minister and we take this cause, not just to our homes, but to our community, to our city, to this world. That through financial partnership and use of our time and our talents and just simply opening our mouths about Jesus, Father, you would work and do incredible things. That you would use us and through our efforts, we would be drawn closer together to praise you together, to worship together. And so that someday when we stand before you, we stand together. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.